Hi, and welcome to the Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at Strad. You may have noticed this week and last week on the Strad website and social media that we're exploring the theme of competitions and performing under pressure. No, not the song by David Bowie and Queen. Don't sing it, don't sing it. But environments where there's a lot at stake, be it prize money, large amounts of repertoire to learn, or personal expectations. Here to speak to me about the pressures of performing as a concertmaster is Noah Bendix Bulgley. As leader of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, it's fair to say that the job comes with a few scary moments, not to mention an extremely rigorous and challenging process to even get the job. Noah shared with me his audition process in the lead-up to winning the position, his strategies for those big concertmaster solos, think Scheherazade, Ein Heldenleben, as well as why he thinks being a concertmaster is a truly fulfilling role. Here's Noah. Noah, welcome to the Strad Podcast. We're here today to talk about performing under pressure as a concertmaster. So concertmaster is a very, very unique role within the orchestra. Uh, you know, you've got so many responsibilities, but also you have to be able to deliver these incredible solos because it's part of your job. <laughs> you've had plenty of experience. You've been first concertmaster of Berlin Phil since 2014, and before that, concertmaster of Pittsburgh Symphony. First of all, tell me about concertmaster solos. Do you still get nervous with some of these excerpts? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's a very particular thing because you have to kind of inhabit two separate roles as a concertmaster when these solos come up. And so it's different than playing a concert, you know, as a, as a soloist in a violin concerto, which I do as well. But in the concertmaster chair, of course, you're playing, leading the section as the leader in the orchestra too, but also blending your sound into that section. And that's, of course, a sort of different sort of playing than as suddenly needing to have a solo sound and presence. And so that's something I think about when they come up, these solos. And sometimes they're very, very small. I mean, you know, in certain pieces, you'll have a measure or two and, and then play for 20 minutes and then another measure. And other pieces, of course, have, have very prominent solos um, where you're taking the, the limelight for a longer period of time or, or this solo violin has a very important role in something like Scheherazade or an Heldenleben. So that's, that's a little bit different. But... It certainly is nerve wracking because, you know, when I'm playing along in a piece like Shahara's Up, for example, and it has this series of solos that come up the beginning of each movement and in between and stuff. And so, you know, when it's coming, <laughs> sort of this <laughs> countdown until you, you start to play it. And so for me, it's a lot about preparing mentally, physically while I'm playing so that when I need to start playing those solos that I'm, I'm in a good space, also with the violin playing that I feel like I have a really good contact with the instrument and I'm able to kind of switch the kind of expression and scope of it to be more soloistic on a dime when I immediately needed to have that happen. That reminds me, I know it's not exactly the same, but it does remind me of, I'm a cellist, but if you're ever playing the second cello part of Mendelssohn's octet, mm -hmm. and I feel like about halfway through the third movement, you're already thinking about that quite scary exposed solo at the beginning of the fourth movement gearing your mind towards that thinking about how are you going to handle this gear change, but also making sure that you're delivering the stuff that you need to do in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And at some point, you know, you just have to jump in. It's sort of like that 
that proverbial, yeah. you know, jumping into the cold pool. <laughs> the, yeah, you, you yeah. can put your, you know, fingertips or toe, toes in a little bit. At some point, you just have to go in. So you just have to start playing. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah. <laughs> so in your experience, what did you have to prepare for your Berlin Phil audition? You know, luckily, by, by the time I took the Berlin Phil audition, I'd been playing as a concertmaster for three and a half years in, in the Pittsburgh Symphony. And, and during that time, I'd had the luxury to play a lot of the big concertmaster solos, perform with the orchestra as a soloist and concertos. And, and, and for me, that was, you know, it was a, it's, a, it's a fantastic orchestra in Pittsburgh, and it was a wonderful experience there as my first, so to say, professional position. You know, of course, I'd, I'd played an orchestra in, in my student days, and I'd played some concertmaster with those kind of projects, but it's a completely different thing once you're in the professional world in terms of the amount of repertoire you have to cover, the pressure, the routine of it. So by the time I took the audition in Berlin, I did have experience playing, for example, the Heldenleben solo. I played a lot in Pittsburgh and on tour with them. I played most of the, the big solo concertmaster things, I suppose. And and the audition in, in Berlin was, in terms of the repertoire, was quite straightforward. I mean, the main thing is playing a Mozart concerto and playing a big concerto, either the Brahms or the Beethoven. Um, I always chose the Brahms. So that's what they hear first. And then if you advance past the Mozart, you get to play the Brahms. And if you advance past the Brahms, you get to finally play some orchestral excerpts. Um, if I remember correctly, I played Heldenleben, I played Mrs. Solemnis. And then there were some more on the list, some more standard ones on the list. But, you know, it's a, you have to think of it as a performance because... For us in Berlin, we have the auditions in front of the full orchestra. And so everybody's out there in the in the audience listening, which is quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think in a way, there is an advantage to that, as scary as that sounds. But in my experience, I find it quite difficult to deliver an audition in front of a screen. Because Absolutely. it can be hard to replicate that feeling of, I'm here to make music. But then I think perhaps if you're in an auditorium in front of the audience, your future colleagues a little bit easier, perhaps? Well, yeah, it, it's, it gets closer to that ideal of it being a concert rather than, you know, an audition or a test. Yeah, I always found that a couple of times that I did play behind a screen for various things. I found that incredibly difficult to express myself in a, what I felt like was a normal musical way because I had no sort of sense of an audience out there. And playing for an entire orchestra, yeah, of course, there's, there's an extra pressure of it. Everybody's there, but... As you said, you can imagine it a little bit more as a concert. And that's that's really how I tried to get into the right mental space before the Berlin audition, but but also, you know, when I've taken them in the past too. God, I mean, what a test, I have to say. I think if you can get through that, then <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of things that get thrown your way as concertmaster of the Berlin Field that probably take in your stride now. I guess. I mean, you know, at the beginning of a course, there's a lot of pressure because you know, winning the audition is just the first part of it. Then I started the trial period, which is up to two years with the orchestra. So then it's like everything you do, every project you play, every note you play is sort of under the microscope. So that's, I think, for everybody coming into the orchestra, the most stressful time. Um, But through experience, getting to know the ensemble, getting to know the people, getting to know how we work as, as a group, as an organism helps. And then that sort of builds on itself over time. But that was certainly... 
Um, in fact, I, <laughs> my first program as concertmaster was Ausersprache uh, Zaratustra, so they threw me right in with something <laughs> something nice and easy and, and low low stress. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. Oh my goodness, there are so many Strauss solos, right? That you probably have to perform so much, and I know that you have done them so many times. But do you feel like they get easier? as time goes on or do you have any particular strategies for tackling these solo excerpts not to mention uh the preparation that you do before performance beforehand but also you know in the bars and the measures beforehand it's a little bit you know the, the strategies for example i use when i'm practicing you know my orchestral music as opposed to solo repertoire that i'm playing whether concertos or recitals when i'm practicing music in the orchestra, that's let's say tutti, you know, that, that we're playing all together. I'm learning the music. I'm learning how I fit, my part fits into the whole. I'm learning it in a way that I can be flexible when we get to rehearsal, that I know what's going on, but, but that I can also react very quickly to what a particular conductor is asking for in terms of interpretation. And the way to practice a solo concerto is different, of course. As a soloist, you need to have your very clear interpretation decided upon beforehand and, and that you execute that in a way that's completely clear to everybody around you. The decision-making about what, what what's going to go on in my interpretation of a solo concerto. And it's a little bit the same when I'm looking at concertmaster solos too, is I really want to have a very clear idea um, already before I start the rehearsals, what I want to do with each each spot. And then of course that can that can change in the process, but it needs to start from that very strong interpretative stamp to begin with. That's one of the things that I work for in any case in concertmaster solos. It's my feeling and my sort of belief as a concertmaster is that regardless of whether your solo is four notes or, you know, four minutes long, as soon as, as I'm, I'm playing something in a piece that has the solo in it, it's concertmaster solo, as soon as I start playing that part, it needs to stick out in a compelling way. You know, what I'm doing with the sound, with the expression, with the imagination, you know, to, to not just kind of continue along in, in, in a proper way, but to do something that, that grabs people's intention in a good way. I think uh, that's very important. And so I go for that. And, and in big solos, for example, like Scheherazade or Heldenleben, I feel one of the big challenges in those is that the solo violin is literally playing a character. It's not simply playing a virtuoso passage. We're there to represent a particular character. And those characters are very, very compelling and mercurial. They're always changing. They're always offering something different. So as I come back to these solos over the years, I'm, I'm always trying to refine my interpretation, come up with new ideas, come up with spontaneous ideas when I'm playing them. That's something now I that maybe at the beginning when I first played them, I didn't allow myself to do. You know, I used to have a very clear game plan of exactly which fingering and bowing where and which time I do what. And, you know, I still have that to a degree as, as a uh, roadmap, but I allow myself a little more spontaneity and freedom mm. than when I'm yeah. playing in the concert. And that, of course, comes with, with the experience of having played it many times that, that then I feel hopefully free enough to do that. Not that it's not nerve-wracking, but that that I have op <laughs> many different options on the table and that I can then decide this particular night I want to go with this fingering or this bowing and go for something here in yeah. an interesting way. It's like freedom within the form, having that yeah, those absolutely. fundamentals in place so that then you can have that spontaneity. I mean, it really does remind me of what actors 
have to do on stage, especially theatre actors and returning to the same roles. So mm. someone who's going to play Hamlet in their 20s is going to play it completely different in a different theatre with a different production. Maybe when they're in their 50s, it's going to change. But that foundation of knowing the role uh, and what's behind it is is always there. I wanted to ask you what you would advise violinists going for these concertmaster auditions. Like, What in particular do you think a panel is looking for? Because you did mention having brilliant solo sounds, but then also being able to blend within a section, being demonstrative in one's playing. How is one able to showcase all of these things in one audition? I think obviously the general level of playing these days for, you know, is, is so high at orchestra auditions. And so obviously the violin playing has to be at a, at a world-class level. You know, we're talking people who are at the international competition level winning prizes or out there performing as soloists and or with top chamber groups. I mean, those are the people that, that are showing up as, as contenders for, for top concertmaster positions. It's sort of this, this mix of the soloistic profile when somebody plays those solo concertos and the concertmaster solos, stylistic flexibility, you know, that it's somebody who's sounding convincing, whether they're playing Brahms or Bach or Mozart or, or Stravinsky, not somebody who's only convincing in the Tchaikovsky concerto that's that's probably not going to work out so well because, you know, we have to play everything in an orchestra, you know, you can't, can't make a career just on a particular direction. <laughs> so, you know, what I'm listening when I'm listening for these auditions, of course, is a sound that is um, compelling that people want to listen to because that's so much of the leading from the concertmaster chair is playing in a way, whether, whether you're playing a solo or not, you know, when I'm playing in the section, leading the section, I want to be doing it in a way that's compelling that people want to join with my sound. They want to join with the way I'm using the bow and phrasing. And that brings the section together. And and that's something you look, you look for in the auditions. It's sort of, I guess, maybe, maybe it becomes clear from the general musical approach. I do find it that, for example, people who have a lot of chamber music experience tend to do well in those settings. Chamber music experience with a solo profile um, is sort of something that can be very successful, goes in the direction of, of being a leader as being a concertmaster. Someone who has a sound that inspires the players around them to want to play with them rather than just that singular isolated voice. It, but also be a leader. Depending on how the, the audition is structured, you, you end up looking at body language too and the movement. And, and is, if it's something that looks like it would be easy to follow or would go with the group or somebody who maybe plays great, but then has, has a sort of physical presence that may be not as compelling, that's going to make a big difference too, because that's a lot of what's going on in the orchestra. And that can, of course, be learned in the chair, so to say. But it's good yeah. to have a starting sense. And that's why the chamber music, I mean, I know for myself, I didn't have a lot of ex concertmaster experience before I got my, the position in Pittsburgh. What I had been doing a lot was playing first violin in the string quartet. And that was my main preparation. Yeah. Of course, getting through the orchestra, it becomes a much bigger scope, a much more awareness of, of <laughs> you know, many, many more instruments and lines at the same time. But I thought of that as sort of a expansion of a string quartet, the awareness and the expression yeah. that I'd learned playing string quartet. Like massive chamber music. Exactly. This kind of advice sort of leads me to ask, would you recommend, you know, contenders to 
get as much feedback as possible in preparation because there are so many of these things that you mentioned like you know body language um sound whether or not it's compelling that can be difficult to perhaps spot if you're by yourself in the practice room would you advise people to do things like record themselves or or seek advice from other players around them absolutely i mean I think in any case, it's always good to, to record yourself and, and to play for teachers, but also colleagues and friends. I mean, that's the best sort of preparation for any big thing coming up, whether it's auditions or competitions or concerts, is putting yourself in a pressure situation and then seeing what, what goes on, you know, what changes, what's good, what's not so good, what can be worked on and getting feedback. When I first auditioned in Pittsburgh, I mean, as I mentioned, I didn't have that much background or experience yet with the concertmaster repertoire and leading. And I, when I was preparing, I just sought out as many <laughs> concertmasters or, or leaders as I could to just play for them and get feedback. And that was really helpful to have an idea. And also then even, even once I did start going in and playing trial weeks and got the job, I was still asking people who I respected in those positions for advice and, and tips and such, because you can't know it all before. And of course you learn a lot of it on the go and that's a big part and that, you know, that's irreplaceable, but it's good to draw from others' experiences and, and advice. Extra ears and eyes. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite orchestral solo to play? Ah, one of the most beautiful ones. And this is one I played in auditions and I have not yet played in orchestras, Mrs. Solemnis from Beethoven. This is, this is just a gorgeous solo. So that's, I think one of the truly beautiful ones. I mean, you know, there, there's such wonderful things. Like, for example, in, in the four last songs of Strauss, there's just this gorgeous solo that every time I play it, I, I just, I love playing that and then expressing through that. Brahms first symphony solo in the slow movement. So many wonderful little things that, you know, composers give give a particularly important musical moment to the concertmaster, to the, to the solo violin in an orchestral piece. And then the, the wonderful thing is taking that challenge and, and even if it's just a phrase or a couple of lines, making it really special and, and saying something really special with that. And so that's that's part of what I love about the job. You get to wear so many hats and it, it's a massive challenge, but I can imagine very, very fulfilling once you get to do the things you really want to do. That's why, I, I mean, I do encourage, you know, young, young violinists, young pharmacy violinists who are sort of considering what route to take, whether to go into chamber music or orchestra or try to be a soloist, to really consider the concertmaster route because... As you said, it, it really feeds many parts of the artistic personality. You know, it's you're always part of this community of this this wonderful organism playing the most amazing music in an orchestra, but still always having the challenge to sound great when you have a solo. And then the opportunities to play chamber music and to appear as a soloist, either with your own orchestra or as a guest. You know, they really come from many directions. And so you can kind of make your own way, your own profile in these different places. And it's it's constantly challenging and, and energizing to never sort of be stuck in one place, but always be bouncing between them is, is, is always fun. Yeah, it opens up so many doors for you. And that way you're not boxed into one particular thing. And, and you know, we, we all love variety in life, don't we? So Absolutely, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> very fulfilling in that way Noah thank you so much for being on the podcast today just some of my my experiences some some of which were very unexpected I mean I, it was not a path that I completely predicted when I was much younger but it mm -hmm. as I started to do it and got into it I 
for me, I felt like this is really a great fit for who I am as a person and, and as a musician. So I've been very happy. I think often the best things happen when you're not really expecting it. Just being open to different opportunities and taking certain paths right, rather than taking one prescribed path. It does lead to so many more opportunities. That's been my experience in my career, so to say, is that some, some of the, the most wonderful things that happened were not the ones that I sort of had in my game plan, but then they opened other doors and, and, and things then developed from there. That was Noah Bendix-Bulgley, and right now you're listening to him play Romance by Amy Beach with pianist Ohad Ben-Ari. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. You'll find a host of articles and content to do with our current theme of competitions and performing under pressure, where numerous artists have shared their insights and strats on the topic. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening, and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye. Bye.